This is the second commissioning sermon I've delivered this year. Presbytery asked me to preach at the commissioning of Reverend Sandra Warner at St Columba. And at that time we also commissioned Catherine to the role of children's youth and families coach for the Kaimai Presbytery. And so poor Catherine has to sit through two sermons from me about her commissioning. So Catherine will be working 25 hours a week for Kaimai Presbytery in that coach advisory role and 10, maybe 15 hours a week for us. And that's why she gets the double commissioning. I hope that's a double blessing, I think, to you. Yes, she's nodding appreciatively, which is a good thing to do. <laughs> Let's come to God's word in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak words of life into your community, to your people, to us here at St Andrews. May your spirit make these words come alive to us, to feed and to nourish, to encourage and to bless. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning we're going to open up a passage found in the book of Judges. Now not too many people know exactly where the book of Judges is and what it's about, so just a a little bit of a, a background before we dive in. The book of Judges is the seventh book in the Bible. The first five books take us from creation to God's people standing at the border of the promised land. And then we have uh, the sixth book in the Bible is the book of Joshua, which describes God's people taking the land. And then we have Judges, the seventh book, which describes God's people settling in the land. Now, the book of Joshua, the sixth book of the Bible, finishes really positively. God has been a faithful 100% of the time to his promises to Abraham. However, as we start reading through Judges, the wheels start to fall off. Because as the people settle into the land, they fall into a very destructive pattern. Two basic phases. First phase is God blesses them. God has mercy on them and they flourish. But the inclination of their hearts is to worship other gods, is to compromise It is to turn their back on God's law. And so they start worshipping the gods of the other nations. And then they move into this next phase of judgment. So God sends prophets to warn them. They have the Bible, but they ignore it. So God then says, if you're going to worship the gods of the other nations, I'm going to send the other nations in to oppress you. And they come and they conquer God's people, Israel. And then God's people are so so upset, so oppressed, that they cry out for God's mercy, and he raises up a judge, a rescuer. And then after that judge passes away, they start to drift back to idol worship. So you get this pattern of God's mercy, of them, the Israelites worshipping idols and leaving his ways, and judgment from one of the surrounding nations, and then God raises up a rescuer. So whenever you land in the book of Judges, you're always wondering, whereabouts am I in that cycle? And that's what we're going to do with the story of Gideon. And we're going to start with a time of God's mercy and a time of God's blessing. And we see that in Judges uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So at the beginning of chapter 6, God's blessing is upon them. They're doing really well. But because they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, idol worship turned their back on his ways, he starts the judgment cycle. 
then the rest of those few verses describe how bad it is until we get to verse 6, where Midian so impoverished the Israelites they cried out for the Lord for help. So that's that judgment cycle. Now we pick up the commissioning of Gideon as God raises him up to be a rescuer so he can show mercy on his people. And that's where we are here. So how does this start? Well, we start in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joaz, the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, for us non-rural types, we may miss how strange this picture is because the traditional way of winnowing wheat, separating the chaff from the wheat, is it's in a pile there. You pick up the winnowing fork and you flick the seed in the air and then a breeze will take the chaff and blow it to the side and the good wheat seeds fall to the ground. But you don't do this in an enclosed space. You do it out in the open where the slightest breeze will blow the chaff away. But Gideon's doing this in a wine press. Now in Gideon's days, wine presses were often built into the ground. This is a very flash wine press that you see up there. And the grapes would be thrown in there and trampled and they would collect the juice. So that's an Old Testament wine press. Now some of them would have been a lot simpler than that, but that's the basic idea. So he was down in that hole. And then he would be tossing the wheat just up over the lip and the breeze would blow the chaff away and the wheat would come down. So if you were walking around, you wouldn't see Gideon. You would just see these bits of wheat puff up and fall down. And now why was he doing that? Well, the Bible says that he was afraid that the Midianites would come and steal the wheat because that's what they were doing. They were, they were desert-dwelling Bedouins who would race into, at certain times a year during the harvest and that, they would come into Israel and they would steal all the harvest. And so he was fearing for his crops, but also fearing for his life, which makes the angel's words so strange, because the angel's first words to Gideon are this. Verse 12, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. Startled, I'm sure Gideon looked up. Maybe he thought someone was messing with him. Here he is hiding, fearing for his safety, and yet someone's calling him a mighty warrior. But instead of someone taking the mickey of him, instead of someone being sarcastic, when he looks up, he sees a very different person. He sees a person that's got that don't mess with me look about him. That person where you think, oh, I better be careful what I say to this person. And so he responds in verse 13. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Interesting, isn't it? Here is the mighty angel saying, the Lord is with you. And Gideon saying, well, if, if the Lord was with us, if the Lord had not abandoned us, I wouldn't be standing here in a wine press, fearing for my life. What do you mean God is with us? And in some respects, it shows that Gideon understood completely what the problem was. If God had been with the Israelites, they would not be oppressed by the Midianites. But God was not with them. However, that he asks the question shows that he's completely ignorant of why. 
And despite what the Bible says and despite what the prophets said, he has no idea that the reason why God is not with them is because the Israelites, God's people, have followed the inclination of their heart and they have walked away from the God that saved them, rescued them from Egypt and have worshipped other gods. They were oppressing their own people. They weren't following the laws of God. Now, the angel resists the temptation to correct Gideon's wonky theology. The angel is on a mission, and that is a mission to commission Gideon to be a judge, to rise up and save God's people. So let's see how the angel responds to Gideon's question. And we see this here. Verse 14, but the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. So here's the commission. And what's the commission? What's the task that Gideon is supposed to do? He is supposed to rise up and save and rescue God's people from the hand of the oppressors. And this is the great work that Gideon is being commissioned to, to rescue God's people. And this is where it gets personal for Catherine. No matter what you think you're being commissioned to today, Catherine, no matter what wonderful expression of ministry with the children that takes place because you're here, at its core, you are part of a rescue mission. I mean, that's what we're commissioning you to. And it's not because we're going to have any desert-dwelling Bedouins cruise through here on a camel that's not the sort of rescue mission that we're on about the rescue mission is to save those ensnared by satan those that are oppressed by the world and those captive to sin catherine is joining us here at st andrews to be part of a rescue mission now let's be clear this rescue mission this commissioning is intimidating it's a huge task it's an impossible task and Gideon knows it. So that's why his gut reaction is to try and wriggle out. See how he tries to wriggle out of this. And we see this in verse 15. But Lord Gideon said, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So this is Gideon trying to wiggle out of his responsibility. I am the least person of the smallest family of the weakest tribe. How could you possibly choose me? to rescue Israel. And that's when God comes in with this, verse 16. This is the promise to Gideon. The promise to Gideon is this, verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. I will be with you. Gideon couldn't possibly save one person of Israel, let alone the whole nation, unless God was with him. And this is the key word for Catherine and for us. This is God's plan and pattern. Notice right at the beginning, the first words were, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon spent time saying, God can't possibly be with us, otherwise the Midianites wouldn't be oppressing us. But the angel persists. You need to go and rescue Israel because God is with you. He will be with you. Now, this is God's plan and God's pattern. And we see this other places as well. In the Bible, we see it with Moses in Exodus 3 with the burning bush. You may remember the story 
when Moses is out there tending the sheep and he sees a bush that will not burn. So he investigates it. And then God reveals himself from the burning bush and commissions him to go and to rescue God's people from Pharaoh and from slavery. But you notice Moses. Moses tries to wriggle out of it, and we see this in verse 11 of Exodus 3. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. See God's plan and pattern? He chooses someone ordinary to do the impossible, and then makes the impossible possible because he promises to be with that person. And we all see that also with Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a young man minding his own business, and God commissions him to be a prophet. And notice what uh, the pattern is there. Ah, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Notice how he's trying to wriggle out of it as well. Let's look at God's response. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I am sending to you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. God is asking someone to do the impossible, and the only reason it is possible is because God promises to be with them. This is God's plan, and it's God's pattern, and it's God's plan for us as well. For you may be saying, Oh, well, that's okay for Catherine, and it's okay for Gideon and all those folk, but what about for me? What about when God asks me to do the impossible? Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, there will be times when God asks you to do something that you feel is impossible. There may be someone that has hurt you so deeply, and you know God is asking you to forgive that person. And you say, God, I can't do it. And God is saying, yes, you can, because I am with you. God always asks his people, from time to time, to do the impossible. And even though we try and wriggle out of it, God always saying, you can do the impossible, because I am with you. You see, this pattern didn't stop with Gideon or Jeremiah, or Moses. Because long after these three heroes of the faith, God raised up a true and a better judge, an awesome and powerful rescuer, who was commissioned by John the Baptist and filled with the Holy Spirit. And this true and better rescuer proclaimed freedom to the captives. He bound demons and he healed the infirmed. And this true and better judge executed the greatest rescue mission in the universe by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. And the very last words he said before he ascended, as found in the Gospel of Matthew, are these. And see if you can see the pattern and the plan in the last words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, All authority in earth and heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus is commissioning us to go into all the world and to make disciples. And that's impossible. 
except God makes it possible because he promises to be with us even to the end of the age. We have been commissioned, each one of us, not just Catherine, not just myself, but each one of us has been commissioned to be part of the greatest rescue mission of human history. And because he promises to be always with us, then the impossible becomes possible. And this is the only basis by which we can commission Catherine, with the full knowledge that Jesus, by his Spirit, will be with her to empower, equip, and guide as we work together to build a ministry to young people and their families, as we work together to see that ministry flourish at St Andrews. It can be tempted to employ ministry staff and then think, great, we'll leave it all to that ministry staff member to do it. But that's not how God's works, and that's a good way to burn out your ministry staff and have them gone within six months. And we're not going to do that, are we, church? Because this is a commitment together to support Catherine as she prays and as we pray that children's ministry will grow and flourish. And it is asking the impossible to become possible, isn't it? Because at the moment at St Andrews, we have no families with young children worshipping with us. But what does that matter if God is with us? And so this is very much today a step of faith and possibilities. And I'm excited to see what the Holy Spirit is going to do. I think in another six, I'm convinced, another six or 12 months' time, we will look back to this commissioning and say, wow, look at the amazing things that God has done. As we draw to a close, three take-homes, three ways of making this a little bit more personal. First take-home for today. First of all, our weaknesses do not limit God. Our weaknesses do not limit God. Gideon was in a minor family in the weakest tribe. Moses was 80, a shepherd, and had a dodgy past. Jeremiah was too young. However, God did not let any of those weaknesses limit him in the way that he could use them. God saw past limitations and saw what they could do if he was with them. And we may think we are a little significant. We might think we're too young or too old, too infirmed, too past it, too tired, too busy. We can wriggle out of these commissions just as good as Jeremiah, Moses and Gideon. We can think of the excuses, but God does not see our excuses as limitations. He can work with anyone with a humble and teachable heart. He can use each of us for his glory. So that's the first thing. Our weaknesses do not limit God. Secondly, God's plan is greater, is more than we can imagine. Now, I'm not sure what Gideon was thinking that morning or that day when he was commissioned, but I guarantee that he never thought that he would defeat all of the Midianite hordes with just 300 men. You can read about that amazing story in, the, in chapters 7 and 8 of Judges. You may remember the story where the, there's hundreds and hundreds of Israelites, they go, to, the, go to, to attack and God says there's too many. Remember that story? And he says, watch them as they drink. You know, and he separated out, most drunk um, using their hands and some drunk, you know, you know, and all that story. Yeah, well, you read that story. When Gideon 
was commissioned. I'm sure he had no idea that it would only take 300 men in the hand of God to defeat the Midianites. I bet he had no idea that he would lead Israel, he would judge Israel for 40 years. And in that 40 years, God blessed the people. God's plan for us is more than we can imagine. It's the same for Catherine and for us as a church. God's plan for us is more than we can imagine. And then finally, it's all about God and his rescue. This is such a strange story, isn't it? You've got someone hiding in a wine press trying to winnow wheat. You've got an angel, you've got excuses, and then you've got the commissioning. But in all this, it wasn't all about Gideon. It was all about God and his rescue mission. Now, Gideon went on to win great battles and rescue God's people and judge. And when his focus was on God and his commissioning, Gideon did amazing things. But sadly, as you read through Judges, you will see that Gideon took his eyes off God and there was big trouble for him and Israel. We haven't got time for this. But actually, the point is, it's not all about Gideon. It's all about God and his glory. When Gideon took his eye off his Lord and his commission, put it on himself, then everything fell to bits. Same for us. We need to keep our eyes fixed on our Heavenly Father. It's not all about us. It's all about our God who has adopted us as his dearly loved child, who longs for us to follow him with joy, who longs for us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who longs for us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, it's never all about us, either individually or as a church. It's all about God, his rescue mission, and his everlasting and radiant glory. And the wonderful thing is, he invites us to be a part of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these amazing stories that are in the Bible. We thank you that you put your hand on Gideon, and despite his excuses, you called him to do great things. Thank you, Lord, that no matter where we are, you have called us to do the impossible. But... It is possible because you are with us. Help us, Lord, to know that as individuals, as a church, as a living reality. Thank you that through Christ you have promised to be with us because if you were to depart, we would have nothing. But we have everything in Christ. For your glory we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.